Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. If you've got a personal auto insurance question, you could talk to a cab driver. Although the policies he recommends might include avoiding the interstate, beating traffic by taking the back roads, and only making left turns when absolutely necessary. Or you could talk to your local GEICO agent, whose policy is to use their expertise to navigate your insurance, finding the best route to help you save money on insurance for your home, car, and more. And as an added bonus, you'll be able to avoid traffic jams and potholes entirely. To find a GEICO agent near you, visit geico.com local. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's March 30th, 2021, as we, we record this new episode for our audio listeners. You're listening to this wherever you listen to podcasts. And for our video version, welcome to the Sox Machine YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Machine, as we'll produce more videos for the upcoming 2021 season. And speaking of the 2021 season, we are just a couple days away from Major League Baseball opening day. And on this episode, we are going to be talking about our 2021 season predictions, who we think will be the most valuable hitter and pitcher for the Chicago White Sox this upcoming season, who we also think will be the breakout player, rookie of the year, and our guesses at what the final record will be for the Chicago White Sox. At the end of the show, we'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. Now joining me is the co-host of the Sox Machine podcast. He's the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Uh, I've been hearing some crazy things down in Nashville lately with weather. I know you lost power. You had to call me by phone on our last uh, emergency podcast when Mm -hmm. we got news that Aloy Jimenez uh, was injured. And now you have flash flooding. What the heck is going on in Nashville? Yeah, I lost power for three days, or at least as Hawk Harrelson would say, parts are a whole of three days. <laughs> it ended up being about 51 <laughs> hours, but uh, yeah, just three days disrupted. 
Um, a lot of emails <laughs> went through the uh, slip through the cracks and realized Monday or Tuesday that I had not responded to stuff. But yeah, just a lot of rain. I think the second most uh, or second highest two day rain total in Nashville, and just a lot of creeks, a lot of low lying areas have been uh, flooded over. Uh, some trees, some massive trees knocked down in my area. That's what caused the power outage. Was just a tree falling down, taking down a bunch of lines with it, falling in a house. A lot of delicate. It was a delicate uh, removal to get the mm-hmm. uh, tree out of there and restore the line. So, yeah, it was a mess. Fortunately, aside from power and having to basically uh, empty the entire contents of our fridge. Uh, That's the <laughs> worst. To, yeah, I have to go to uh, you know, make a couple of supermarket runs to re- replenish it. We really uh, were more or less undisturbed and a lot of people were worse off. So we're lucky in that regard. And Chief handled it Okay. Yeah, he's he handles storms remarkably well. Barks at the direct lightning, just like barks back. You know, it's more or less like just you know a direct response. No, you know, no shaking, no hiding or anything like that. Just more or less uh, took it like a champ. All right, awesome. Well, that's good to hear, and I'm glad that you're able to join me now, and you've got power uh, yes. because in a couple of days it's going to be opening day, man, and uh, we have made it. And when it comes to opening day. Everyone is talking about the opening day 26-man roster for the respective ball clubs. And we'll start with the Chicago White Sox, and that's where we're going to start with this particular episode. It only makes sense. We'll get to our 2021 season predictions in a moment. But the 26-man roster, Jim, I think last week it was pretty clear-cut who was going to be on this roster. But with Aloy Jimenez out for four, five, maybe six months, it really depends as far as the surgery and how his rehab goes, but he's out at least four months mm-hmm. of the 2021 season. It's obviously through a wrench in the plans for manager, Tony La Russa. And at least in my perspective, and again, I've been moving, so it's been kind of hard to keep up with all of the rumors on who's going to make the final 26 man roster for opening day. But La Russa is throwing some curveballs at us. And there are some players that, I was not expecting to emerge from White Sox camp to be on the 26-man roster. (laughs) And Jake Lamb, (laughs) you know, I want to just share a quick story about that. I got, and I know this happens to you as well, uh, A somebody reached out to me on Twitter. They sent me a DM. And and how the story typically goes is, hey, my ex-college roommate is dating ex-player's girlfriend, and they're telling me, they're signing with the White Sox. And uh, so, again, I get this tweet again, and I'm like, all right, good information. Thank you. I'll follow up. And like I always do, I text message everyone that I know around the league that could help me confirm it. Uh, nobody could really confirm it, so I just threw it out there as far as a Twitter. Hey, this is a rumor. Consider you know, Jake Lamb as a possibility for the White Sox. An hour later, Robert Murray, who we have had on this podcast from Fansided, uh, was able to confirm that, yeah, Jake Lamb is signing with the White Sox. And I, I guess that's a good place to start. What is Jake Lamb bringing to the Chicago White Sox now at this stage, at the end of spring training and leading up to opening day, Jim? Memories of his best form for Tony Larusa. That's kind of, I guess, the leading uh characteristic or trait that i can think of just because 
Uh, right now, at least when you look at his last three years, and he hurt his shoulder early in 2018 and really hasn't been the same since after a couple of good years with the Diamondbacks where he's basically like a 30-homer guy. Mm-hmm. In 2016 and 2017, since then, the power has more or less uh, taken a hit. The hit tool has dropped off, and so you had a guy who's just been below average for about three years, and he bounced from Arizona. Oakland had a brief resurgence last year, and maybe there's some stuff in the batted ball uh data that that suggests that some of it is sustainable although it didn't really show up in spring training with atlanta and he lost the corner infielder job to uh pablo sandoval so it's not Rich. like he was wow yeah i mean sandoval's feisty like give, mm-hmm. give sandoval credit for reinventing himself keeping him in the game when uh you know you look at his body type and and you know you see his decline and think like, this is going to be quick. <laughs> and he just manages to hang around. So uh, credit to him for that. But yeah, just, you know, losing to Sandoval and not really putting up much of a fight, uh, him coming over and just being, you know, he's lefty, but he doesn't really hit righties. Well, uh, he just doesn't really have a whole lot to offer. The one thing that really stands out is basically like he's a decent third baseman. And, you know, as he showed with Oakland last year, can maybe get hot and be an okay third baseman for a week or two. And really, when you look at the depth chart, if you don't believe really in Danny Mendick is more than just a utility infielder can spot start here and there, the White Sox don't really have that kind of player right now. So maybe that's really the leading factor for why he's here. But otherwise, it's odd. It's not a fit. And and if everything's going well, there's really no path forward bats for him. Well, let's take a look at the hitter perspective as far as the 26-man roster. And then we'll take a look at the pitchers for the Chicago White Sox. And looking at the hitters, at catcher, it's going to be Asmani Grandal. First base, it's going to be Jose Abreu. Second base, Nick Magical. Shortstop, Tim Anderson. Third base, Yoan Makata. Center field, Luis Robert. And right field, Adam Bean. That's what we're expecting in an opening day. Now, I didn't mention left field. During the press conference, which Rick Hahn and LaRusso uh, were confirming who was making the 26-man roster. LaRusso was asked who is most likely going to be starting in left field on opening day. And as of March 30th, LaRusso says it's probably going to be Lurie Garcia, which makes sense. Uh, he could both, he's got, the, he's got the nice blend. He can, you know, you can count on him defensively in left field, not to embarrass himself. Um, but we saw in the opening series last year, for the Chicago White Sox against the Minnesota Twins, that Lurie Garcia can surprise you offensively for a series. So if you want a safe bet or a safe pick to start in left field on opening day, LaRusso, I think, is showing his hand a little bit, Jim, uh, with Lurie Garcia possibly being the opening day left fielder. But if it's not Garcia, I listed Andrew Vaughn here because I think we do expect Andrew Vaughn to get some starts early this season in left field to see on how he handles it. But this is where the curveballs really start kicking in, is when you look at the bench. No Jonathan Lucroy. The White Sox have decided to move on from him, and they're going to trust Zach Collins and Urin Mercedes to back up uh, Yasmani Grandal. We already talked about Jake Lamb, and we talked about Lurie Garcia. And because Adam Engel is still out, and Rick Hahn has said that it's most likely going to be until mid-April, before we see Adam Engel again with the White Sox. Uh, It's going to be Billy Hamilton. So again, uh, we talked about this a couple podcasts ago when we previewed the White Sox outfield. If you told me in October of 2020 that Jake Lamb and Billy Hamilton, Jim, were going to be making the White Sox opening day roster, 
Uh, I wouldn't believe you, but yet here we are two days away from opening day, and that is the scenario. When you look at the hitters on the White Sox 2021 26-man roster, what jumps out at you? Yeah, I, we, we talked about Billy Hamilton saying how it would be a little bit damping, uh, the lack of outfield depth, if he were just to come over and make the club, and sure enough, he has. I guess, though, when you see Jake Lamb show up and, and have the ability to hold down a corner, it does, I, I guess make it a bit more clear that Larry Garcia, as you mentioned, is going to be the primary or at least maybe first idea in left field. Maybe he doesn't play enough to be primary, but at least it's just, I think in a situation where Lucas Giolito's on the mound and maybe you don't need all the runs in the world that maybe having uh, Garcia's defense in the left and having Vaughn at DH versus, you know, first game of the season, putting Vaughn in the left in a position he's not accustomed to when you really just really need him to catch, you know, moderately difficult fly balls, which mm-hmm. is maybe, uh, you know, all you need from that guy in, in, on the field at that point, probably better to go with Garcia. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it right now. As long as angles out and Garcia is more or less needed to be that third slash fourth outfielder, then maybe Hamilton makes more sense coming in, you know, to the mix as somebody who just can show up in the late innings, be what Adam angle is on his day off and, and uh, just have the ability to, have a pretty crazy uh, defensive outfield there, there in late innings. I think the one thing it does is puts a premium on Adam Eaton to get off to a decent start and be more effective against lefties because last year he was basically lopsided and that all his production came against righties, which, you know, you might expect for a left-handed hitter, but on the other hand, that really wasn't a characteristic of Eaton's seasons uh, either in Chicago or his first three years in Washington, either. That just kind of snuck up on him. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you can write that off as an aberration, say, well, he's going to be better against righties and lefties, and he's an everyday player. Maybe he doesn't reach the heights that he did, like a six-war player that he was at the White Sox, but can be like a two-to-three win guy in right field playing every day, then I think you're more or less happy with Garcia and Vaughn in left field, uh, depending on how much offense is needed that day or who's catching, and and go from there. I have to give a cap tip to you because you did suggest when we talked about Zach Collins hitting his way onto the 26-man roster that you suggested that you don't need to keep Jonathan Lucroy if Zach Collins is hitting this well and if his defense has approved, just make Collins a backup catcher. And the White Sox have done that. Yet, they they are still carrying Herman Mercedes on this 26-man roster, Jim. And that's what really jumps out at at me, at least Mm -hmm. looking at the 26-man rosters, that both Collins and Mercedes are are on this roster. Uh, What do you think of your Mercedes making the 26-man roster? I don't know how many at-bats he's going to get. I think it's cool that he made the roster. I'll I'll put it that way. Like, I'm happy to see him on the roster because, you know, he's played really well the last two years and made himself a call candidate and has just never been able to find any oxygen whether it was in in september they didn't call him up then and they gave it bats to wellington castillo or last year with edwin encarnacion just yeah just lesser players have been holding them down and so it's cool to see him you know come up for more than one game and hopefully more more than one plate appearance but you know when you look at the roster you know with collins being you know showing as much as he could i i will put it that with collins like you know he still has to prove it in the regular season but i think he did all he could to win the catcher job in mm-hmm. spring training. And I think, you know, it's hard to tell Tony LaRusa given that this is our first spring with him. 
Um, and, and he didn't really uh, dismiss anybody. Like he, he had only compliments basically for, for all the players and just some vague, well, he still has to earn it commentary for, for guys who weren't necessarily guaranteed a job, but he didn't have a discouraging word to say about anybody. So it's hard to tell if like the Jonathan Lucroy stuff, you know, all the, the compliments and flattery that we had talked about that made it seem like Lucroy had the inside track, whether that was uh, something to keep Collins motivated or to basically you know, to, to uh, instill in Collins his head that he needed to do everything possible to win the job or, you know, even if Collins had a bad spring and Lucre had a bad spring and everybody looked bad, if he would have just complimented everybody anyway and said they were preparing well, it's hard to say. But Collins really won the job. And Collins, you know, by not striking out, by uh, showing a different form of himself, I think deserves the at-bats that Grandal isn't getting and maybe deserves some of the DH at-bats if Vaughn's left. So when you have that kind of lineup out there, unless it's like a lefty on the mound and they just want to stack righty after righty after righty. And maybe that includes like Vaughn and left and, and, and Mercedes at DH and uh, maybe uh, Larry Garcia in right field against Adam Eaton. Then maybe that's the kind of lineup where you can see the uh, all three catchers factoring into it and, and, and why, uh, you know, Larusa is carrying them. But right now, you know, as long as Collins looks good and, and by good, I mean like, making contact, you know, not just hitting for power and, and drawing walks, but also like not striking out even 20% of the time, then, you know, I want to see Collins get those at bats and see if it's real. Well, that's the hitters. Let's take a look at the pitchers for the Chicago White Sox 26-man roster. Lucas Giolito, Dallas Keuchel, Lance Lynn, Dylan Cease, and the fifth starter will be Carlos Rodon and Rick Hahn. Uh, really praised on how well Dylan Cease and Carlos Rodon pitched in spring training this spring and looking at the bullpen. And again, this is part of the roster where it gets really exciting because this could be the team's strength at closer will be Liam Hendricks. The setup guys we are projecting to be Aaron bummer and Evan Marshall. Then you have Cody Hoyer who could easily set up games for Hendricks, Michael Kopech and Garrett crochet. We know plenty about those two. Matt Foster will be part of the bullpen and getting the last spot is Jose Ruiz for the White Sox. And I know that options were to be considered in this type of situation as I believe he was out of options. Uh, So if you didn't make the 26 man roster, the White Sox would have been at risk of losing Jose Ruiz. And again, he is the eighth guy in the bullpen, Jim, and he gets that uh, last spot and which again should be a very strong bullpen. And I I'm not projecting a lot of innings uh, for Jose Ruiz early in the 2021 season. Uh, But other than him, when you look at the 26 man roster, when it comes to pitchers, anything that jumps out at you. Not really. I think the only real uh, mystery was the last bullpen spot because Nick Turley was briefly in camp and looked like somebody who was also out of, out of options and might have required the spot and had some you know ties through, uh, I guess, alumni with uh, uh, Ethan Katz in, in terms of the uh, high school, Harvard-Westlake. And maybe, you know, kind of like what we saw Jake Lamb on the position player side, like Turley comes in late, takes the job because uh, they just happen to like him and they need to give him that audition. But mm-hmm. he didn't really look like anything like in, in either camp he was in. And Ruiz, I mean, they kind of know what Ruiz is. <laughs> and uh, I, I think he's the guy on the other side of replacement level from like Jimmy Cordero. Jimmy Cordero, when he's healthy, is on the other on one side of replacement level, like providing functional innings, knowing how to get outs. Ruiz 
sometimes has more impressive pitches, especially breaking pitches than Cordero, but just can't sequence them in a way or throw them reliably enough to get those out. So he's always just been on the other side of that, that battle. But for the time being with like Zach Birdie, not impressing Tyler Johnson, not pressing all these other 40 man guys like Reynaldo Lopez, they're keeping him stretched out. That was really the only other guy I could see taking that spot. You may as well. I mean, like he's only going to be pitching like in, in mop up situations and games they can't affect when you have like Matt Foster being like the fifth to seventh best reliever on the team, given the year he had last year, that is really uh, a, a wealth of resources. Yeah. It's a very deep bullpen, right? Yeah. And I, I'm with you with Jose Ruiz. He'll pitch when the white Sox are losing seven to one, or if they're up seven to one and Liam Hendricks pitched the day before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only time that I think we're going to see Jose Ruiz. But congratulations to Jose Ruiz making the Chicago White Sox 26-man roster, as well as Yermin Mercedes and Jake Lamb and Billy Hamilton, veteran holdo- holdover still getting to chase the dreams of playing professional baseball. Uh, maybe unexpected that these players have made the 26-man roster. But again, things have been in flux uh, thanks to Eloy Jimenez's injury. Uh, that will knock him out four to six months, and fingers crossed the surgery is successful and his rehab uh, is also successful. We'll know more about his status eight to 12 weeks from now, according to White Sox general manager Rick Hahn. Spring is calling, and Target's ready with deals for your outdoor space. Grab miracle Grow Potting Mix on sale at two for $8. Plus, get 20% off planters and more. Find spring's best outdoor buys at Target, where low prices and great deals make it easy to save. Restrictions apply. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. So let's take a moment here. We're going to shift away from the 26-man day roster, and Jim and I will have a special Sox Machine Live, a pregame show on April 1st, on opening day, is the Chicago White Sox and the Angels will be playing at 9.05 p.m. Central Time. So at 8 o'clock on SoxMachine.com, uh, Jim and I will be streaming live a uh, pregame show as far as previewing that opening day game and the opening series. And we'll have some of our friends as well join us. Uh, it'll be a very entertaining time. So again, check that out. Uh, that will be on April 1st. And that show will start at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time on SoxMachine.com. Now let's talk about what everybody is here to listen to, Jim, and watch us, our 2021 season predictions. And I thought we did a pretty good job last year. I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. I got the World Series correct with the Dodgers and the Rays. Uh, a little bit easier when it's a 60-game season uh, yeah. compared to a 162-game season. Maybe. I, I could see it both ways. You know, like just a team gets hurt, or like the Washington Nationals, given the year they had where they uh, just True. hit some obstacles early and decided to call the year. I could, I'm surprised that didn't happen with more teams. So for our 2021 season predictions, we're going to follow this format. So while you're listening uh, or watching on YouTube, uh, we're going to – give our guesses on who we think is going to be the most valuable hitter for the 2021 Chicago White Sox, the most valuable pitcher breakout player. And that 
is always one of my favorite categories. Think like Cody Hoyer last year really broke out. Nobody knew a lot about him. Uh, and he comes in and changes everybody's minds and has fans start dreaming that, oh, he could be a future closer one day or a player that takes their game to a whole new level. Uh, so that's what we're talking about with Blake, a breakout player. Uh, we're going to give our picks for rookie of the year. I think they're pretty straightforward for this season. And at the end, we're going to give what what we think the White Sox will finish with a win-loss record in 2021, and then we'll answer your guys' questions in P.O. Sox. But before Jim and I give our picks, uh, we had a lot of responses on Twitter, uh, which, again, you guys can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine, and you can follow me on Twitter. I am at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And, Jim, I just wanted to share a few of the tweets that we got. Uh, one comes from Chef Eric, a proud Patreon supporter of Sox Machine. So thank you, Chef Eric. And uh, his most valuable hitter, Tim Anderson, most valuable pitcher, Lucas Giolito. His breakout player is Nick Madrigal, Rookie of the Year, Andrew Vaughn. But what jumps out at me is that despite Aloy Jimenez being hurt, his prediction for the White Sox win-loss record in 2021 is 94 and 68. I really enjoy that optimism, Chef Eric. And then uh, as in Rec, again, another Patreon supporter. His most valuable hitter is Yohan Makata. Uh, his breakout p- player is Dylan Cease. Um, with, but he's got a 88 and 74 record for the 2021 White Sox. And then our friend Cherizi, uh, he's got Dallas Keuchel as his most valuable pitcher. And uh, I hope that comes to fruition for Cherizi, unlike his other predictions that he makes. Uh, and then his win-loss record for the White Sox. This is where I really hope his prediction is correct. He's going with the record of the beast, 96 <laughs> and 66 for the 2021 Chicago White Sox. That would be one heck of a year uh, if the White Sox can <laughs> win 96 games, especially this season, uh, without Eloy Jimenez uh, being around. So we're going to start with our predictions. Let's start with most valuable hitter, Jim. Who do you think would be the most valuable White Sox hitter in 2021? I'm feeling Yohan Mankato. Okay. Is it because he almost has to now in trying to help fill the void for Aloy Jimenez? There's that. Uh, I think there's also that, you know, in the last two seasons, he's basically shown everything he needs to show as a, as an offensive player, like, you know, uh, shoring up his right-handed swing, um, cutting down on the strikeouts when he feels up for swinging, showing the ability to draw walks when like last year, when he was underpowered that, you know, he was able to still have a batting eye that he was able to draw walks and, and boost the walk rate above uh, 10%. So you kind of factor all those together and, and you know, you, you hopefully, you know, the, the swings from both sides hold up while he still, you know, strikes that balance between, you know, striking out uh, or maybe like swinging earlier in the count so he doesn't strike out when it suits him, but also being able to lay off pitches and draw walks. I think, you know, he can put it all together this year and maybe not quite, um, you know, reach new levels because I think the the previous level he showed in 2019 was plenty. Like, I don't want to be greedy and say that he's going to, uh, you know, challenge like, you know, the Anthony Rendon level or Mike Trout levels for, uh, uh, MVP consideration and like seven, eight wins above replacement. But mm-hmm. I think he could do like get to five, six, you know, and with the offense doing a lot of lifting. I'm going to go with Jose Breu as the White Sox most viable hitter in 2021. And because he has to, 
<laughs> yeah, I think there's kind of. yeah, there's a lot of that, right? And if anyone could step up and try to fill in the void for Jimenez not being the lineup, I think it's Abreu, the reigning 2020 American League MVP. We've seen this before in his career, and I know we talk a lot about as far as age regression, but I think in the last few years, Jose Abreu has done the right things. He's eating a lot better. He's changed out his workout routine. He was obviously impacted at spring training uh, with the late start for him for testing positive for COVID-19, even though he had mild symptoms and he did not have a good start to spring training, but he started to get back into rhythm at the last couple of weeks of spring training. And I still believe that he is someone that could hit 30 plus home runs and will be a contender to lead the entire league in RBIs in 2021. And, you know, again, with these type of slugging numbers, as well as his ability to hit better than 280 in a season, I'm thinking his weighted runs created plus is going to be 140 or higher in 2021. And really, other than, as you mentioned, Makata, or even Tim Anderson. I don't think there's anybody else in this White Sox lineup that could put up the offensive numbers that Jose Abreu will in 2021. So that's why I'm I'm going to I'm going to stick with the old dog here. I'm going to continue to stick with the key cog in the White Sox offensive machine and Jose Abreu as being the most valuable hitter for the White Sox in 2021. Now, would you have picked Jimenez if you were healthy? Like is yes. there yeah, I would have. Yeah, I would say the harder argument is arguing against him. Against Deloy? Yeah, you know, versus you know, have have uh you know arguing for Moncada or Abreu over Jimenez. It really did seem yeah, that's what makes it so unfortunate is that it did seem like everything was lining up for a big breakout. Right. I mean, we're talking about someone that could hit 40 plus home runs. Yeah. And that type of offensive production and be right there with Abreu driving in a hundred plus RBIs and just getting so many opportunities to drive in runs this year and do a lot of damage. I think if Aloy Jimenez was healthy, he would be a lot of people's picks to be the most valuable hitter within the White Sox uh, lineup. But unfortunately, that will not be the case in 2021. And that's the reason why I shifted from Aloy Jimenez to Jose Abreu. Now let's talk about most valuable pitcher. I think this is a pretty chalky pick. Mm -hmm. I'll start here because I literally have money writing on this. Uh, I'm picking Lucas Giolito to win the American League Cy Young. I have learned that that's a pretty chalky pick right now Mm -hmm. because many media outlets have also picked Lucas Giolito to win the Cy Young in the American League. And, And this spring training, I know it's just spring training, but he is pitching like a man on a mission, Jim in spring training. And I am very confident he's going to carry that over on opening day in Anaheim and his opening day starts get a fair a lot better than last year's opening day start where the very first pitch that he threw went out for a home run. I hope that does not repeat for him. Uh, And I'm not speaking that into existence in 2021, but with Lucas Giolito again, zips is projecting Giolito to be the best pitcher in all of major league baseball in 2021. He's got an opportunity here to be a five plus war type of pitcher and be a Cy Young finalist in the American league. So that's why I'm picking Lucas Giolito to be the white Sox most valuable pitcher, because I just don't see anybody else in this entire staff uh, that can match the numbers that Giolito could post in 2021. Yeah. I went with Giolito too. And, and, I rolled around my head a little bit just to think like, is there a way this isn't going to happen or how would it happen if, uh, 
you know, it didn't. And I think the only way it doesn't happen is you know, just a random injury or, you know, mm-hmm. maybe gets hit by a line drive or, or something happens where he misses time and then <laughs> it takes a while to get, Can you I know, punch a wood plank. <laughs> let's, let's not have that happen. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, but just, you know, that kind of fluke thing to where it's not really, it's just normal random pitcher luck, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. As you mentioned, like this spring, it looks like he's just kind of toying with hitters, you know, like we saw last year against, like, say, when he's uh, facing Detroit and James McCann uh, called eight straight changeups. He's kind of in that mode where he can just kind of do what he wants and he's just bored out there. And so he's trying to amuse himself. And I think that's really a sign of a dominant pitcher. Like when you, when you think of like Pedro at his best, you know, when when, when yeah. he was just able to go to the mound and just three pitches, whichever one he wanted to lean on that day, he basically could. And I know it wasn't that simple, but he made it look that simple. And I think Giolito has the same things. You know, I think of like Dallas Keuchel and he could, you know, have, you know, he had took Cy Young votes last year and could do the same thing again. But, uh, you know, he, he does it with just a way that requires a bit more luck. Lance Lynn, uh, you know, just got to see him for in a White Sox uniform. I think there's always like a little bit of an iffiness, you know, just based on White Sox acquisition history to yeah. uh, feel like uh, any kind of acquisition is going to have a seamless transition into Chicago. So I would want to place those expectations on him to beat Giolito. So yeah, it's, it's Giolito to me. All right. So that's the most viable hitter and most valuable pitcher. Let's talk about breakout player of the year. And again, I think a great example of this is what we saw last year with Cody Hoyer. We didn't know a lot about him. He comes in and really impresses with a 98 mile per hour fastball and a terrific slider. You could also pick Matt Foster last year as the breakout player. Maybe they could share the honor because uh, they really helped stabilize that bullpen, especially with the early injury to Aaron Bummer to start the 2020 season to help the White Sox bullpen stay afloat. So looking at the 2021 roster, Jim, who is your pick to be the breakout player of the year for the White Sox? This is a bit tougher than like, say, Cody Hoyer, just because like it seems like every player who could earn this honor is established in one regard or another, like whether it's like Garrett Crochet, you know, the hype he got last year, Michael Kopech, the hype he got before he got hurt and opted out. Just seems like everybody has some kind of um, something going for them. And everybody who's currently off the roster doesn't really have that kind of juice to uh, surge up the ranks the way Hoyer did. So I think, you know, every pick feels a little bit chalky, like you mentioned. And uh, this one feels especially chalky given how he wrapped up uh, spring training. But I'm going with Dylan Cease mm-hmm. uh, just because I, it does seem like he's a breakout candidate just given how poorly he pitched last year and he didn't, uh, you know, he couldn't even earn a postseason start, even though there's really nobody to take that postseason start from him. That's just how little faith he inspired from Rick Renteria and deservedly so. So uh, when you see how well he's pitching now and, and, you know, he's pitching well, but he's still pitching within character. He still has starts where he walks too many guys or gets in a, a, a funk where he can't quite, uh, you know, he gets ahead one, two, and then walks a guy. You know, it, that's kind of comforting to me a little bit to know that, you know, that Dylan Cease is still there and, and it's uh, just, uh, you know, he hasn't had some kind of body swap that's going to reveal itself as some <laughs> kind of illegal crime later down the line and uh, involve like several rings of White Sox leadership being uh, hauled into prison. So I think <laughs> in that regard, uh, Cease feels like uh, he's going to take maybe two steps just because even if he has those burps where he walks three guys over five innings or five guys over six innings. He's going to have the strikeouts this year, I think, to 
minimize the damage from those walks, which is really what he didn't have last year. Last year, if he walked five guys over six innings, he probably struck out four. And he, he was lucky to get out with... Uh, you know, one earned run and maybe there were four unearned runs that were on his tab. So uh, I think there are going to be fewer of those starts. And I still think maybe efficiency might be a problem because of the swing and miss stuff that could rack up his pitch count. But if you're only expecting like five to six innings to start from him, I think they're going to be five to six very good innings more often than not. And if when you're looking at a war totals, if Cease hits three war at the end of the season, I would I would consider that a breakout performance for Dylan Cease in 2021, Jim. Yeah, especially if he throws like say only 160 innings or something like that, just because you know it, it's kind of an inning stat or a counting number stat. You know, wins above replacements mm-hmm. hard to go. You know, uh, five six wins with 160 innings. So if he were able to get to three, uh, just with sheer dominance in innings you know, maybe uh uh some starts that you know where he throws 95 pitches over five and and can't finish sixth but just you know keeps the run suppression down and hands it off to a deep bullpen where they can get him across the you know easily carry a lead across three or four innings uh, on nights where everybody's rested i think that's where he's going to come in handy i think if it were last year's bullpen which was running out of gas running out of arms and you really need somebody to, besides giolito to go Six or seven, he's not quite that guy right now, but if he's just somebody who needs to be like a Jake Odorizzi type, just throw mm-hmm. five good innings, uh, the offense should be there to give you a lead, and then whatever is after that is gravy, and if we need to go to the bullpen in the key game, we got guys, and I think he can fill that role for now. My breakout player of the year for 2021, going back to that three-war level, is Nick Magical. I think Nick Madrigal has a chance to post a three-plus war season. I like what I'm seeing defensively out of Madrigal in spring training, Jim. It seems like the speed of the game, he's catching up to it, especially as far as shuffling his feet, keeping his body in front of the ground balls. Again, especially if you're watching the broadcast, Steve Stone always brings this up that in March, the infield in Arizona is like a trampoline. Uh, and Magical is still making very good plays defensively. So I think defense is going to help carry a lot of his value. But as Lucas Gilito calls him, uh, he's Merlin because he has a magic wand for a bat. And his ability to continue to get singles with 80 exit, 80 mile per hour exit velocities, uh, I, I think will still be a huge factor as far as the White Sox offense, the bottom half of the lineup. And uh, I've always said this when the White Sox have drafted him, especially for the older fans, the fans that want more contact or maybe the game to go back to the way that it was played in the 70s and 80s. Nick Madrigal is going to be your favorite player. Because Magical is going to consistently put the ball in play and consistently put pressure on opposing teams pitching and defense when he is at the bat. And I think Magical this season, Jim, has the opportunity uh, to post a three-plus war season and for a second baseman that's not going to hit a lot of home runs if he hits any home runs in 2021, uh, I think is, is a pretty impressive feat. So that's going to be my pick for the 2021 breakout player of the year for the White Sox. Yeah, if I may uh, segue to that to the next category. Uh, with, Absolutely, uh, let's do that. That's uh, he, he is my top rookie, uh, Nick Madrigal, because he still okay. managed to hold on to prospect status and rookie status. So, uh, yeah, for hmm. those reasons you mentioned, the defense being improved, I've noticed the same thing, like being able to make plays well to his 
right on the other side of second base into left field, being able to uh, control his body better. Like say on the shifted plays where he's in shallow right field, making the slide or not necessarily slide, just getting the glove down and spinning and still getting in a good position to throw. That's what he wasn't doing last year. Right. Looked out of sorts, tried to pivot too quickly. I uh, was looking up to the base, uh, which base he's going to throw to before the ball was in his glove. And, and uh, you know, a, a number, a surprising number of ground balls got under him for how polished his defense was supposed to be. And, you know, if you watch him play in the minors and, and all the sensational highlights that like the Winston-Salem crew would pass along and Birmingham would pass along just of, of these really quick hands turning uh, sensational throws from tough angles and double plays that really wasn't there. And Mm -hmm. I'm seeing it now in spring and I'm hoping that carries over, you know, when, when the real games happen and the stadiums have three decks and I think they will, I think if anything is going to hold him back, I think it's still going to be the base running. I still don't trust that he knows how fast he is or how fast he isn't (laughs) when it comes like taking the extra base and trying to steal. I think the stolen base percentage is still going to be low and, he might still run into a, a few ill-advised outs. I just hope he doesn't injure his shoulder this time to knock him out for a while. But I think the other speed of game things are finally under his control. And when he has that going for him defensively, he's basically Yolmer Sanchez with a hit tool. And yeah. that's a good player. Like <laughs> Sanchez won a gold glove. And when, when Sanchez had the gold glove defense and the below average offense, he was still an average starter. Yep. So when you factor that, uh, that, you know, a bat that hits 300 and gets on base like 340 and can, you know, maybe he's a below average base runner in terms of acumen, but he's still fast enough to take extra bases when the opportunities present themselves. You know, he can do a lot for this team, especially, you know, if he's hitting eighth or ninth or occasionally the top of the order and just getting in front of guys who can, you know, make them not run the bases so hard. My rookie of the year, I'm going to go chalk, and I also have money on this pick as well. I'm going with Andrew Vaughn. Jim, if Andrew Vaughn can have a successful season, if he can not drown, if he can hit 250 and have a 350 on base percentage and and slug 480 and he hits 20-plus home runs for the White Sox and he he appears in 140-plus games for them and – all those numbers make him a key contributor to help fill the void of Aloy Jimenez. I don't know how Andrew Vaughn doesn't win American League Rookie of the Year because the White Sox are asking so much from Andrew Vaughn. And again, this is still an award uh, voted among writers, and they love a great story. And I can't think of a better story than a player, a recent first-round pick, who never played minor league baseball above double a didn't play minor league baseball at all in 2020 because of the pandemic. And he steps in and he helps the white Sox win the American league central by playing positions that he's never played before. Uh, And he doesn't drown. Uh, I I think we'll all point to a very strong American league rookie of the year case for Andrew Vaughn. And that's why he is my rookie of the year preseason pick for the uh, for the 2021 upcoming season but the White Sox I think have two strong contenders with Vaughn and Magical yeah it's with Vaughn I thought about him a lot and like you mentioned he's got the home yeah if Magical hits five homers I think everybody will be thrilled so you know (laughs) if if, uh you know Vaughn can uh can can hit five times as many it's hard to pick uh you know Magical over him but you know just as you mentioned lots being asked of him 
And if he stumbles, you know, if he comes out of the gate hitting, you know, I think the hard part is going to be with Vaughn, like knowing just what kind of failure is, you know, tolerable or what kind of failure he needs to learn from and what kind of failure he won't learn from. Cause I think there's, when you have like a guy who's, you know, as you mentioned, hasn't hit above a ball, you don't exactly know what he's going to look like when pitchers are using their full arsenal and managers are using their entire bullpen, you know, rather than like spring training pitching assignments to face him. And it's just, it's tough to make me feel like uh, he's going to knock out of the park literally and figuratively. I think it's going to take more time to just acclimate himself to just, you know, the entire resources of major league team, uh, coaching staff, bullpen, uh, just, you know, team personnel planning for him, you know, uh, seizing upon his weaknesses. I think that's going to be the one thing that's going to be, you know, keeps me from being too enthusiastic. I mean, you also have the position thing. I don't think that's going to be that difficult for him just because he's slow enough to not make a mess of things. We talked about that before, just like he's, yeah, I, I think from the fly tracking he's shown in the in the few samples he's gotten spring training, like he's fine doing that. He's fine getting the things that are hit routinely to him. And if things are out of his range, he's not going to make a bad situation worse. I think he's going to make a bad. He's going to keep a bad situation bad. <laughs> he's going to compound failures by like ending up in the net. So that's you know, yeah. that's I, I think maybe not a step up, but at least it's a lateral move or maybe just uh, uneven enough to where you really don't know how big a difference it is from Eloy Jimenez, but just so much is being asked from him. And I don't know, you know, there's really no context for this. Uh, And, and without that, I just, I don't want to put the expectations on him that he needs to hit 25 homers and have an OPS of 800 to feel like he's a, he's a success. I think it's going to be more of a, a feel for how he's succeeding. And if he's hitting 200 uh, through April and the bats look good, then you stick with him. But like, if he's just, somebody who never looks bad, but is, um, you know, also not hitting like you can, you can just, his struggles could be different to where he's disciplined enough to where he doesn't look overmatched, but just the quality of contact is not quite there. The, the barrel doesn't get to pitches the way it normally would for if, if he were facing a more appropriate level of competition and you just have no way of knowing that uh, that's the tough part about baseball. It's the tough part about scouting. And I think that's going to be a very, uh, that could be kind of a, a very delicate job for Tony La Russa and uh, the White Sox front office, who's trying to figure out like how much of this is just learning and how much of this is uh, getting physical skills into shape against the best pitchers in the world. Yeah. Don't drown Andrew. Vaughan. Yeah. I think that's the expectation and just keep swimming buddy. And if he could stay afloat and again, like I mentioned, I don't think it's world beater slash line, but if he hits two fifty. And he gets on base at a 350 clip and he slugs 480. I think he can. He has the offensive profile to have that high of a slugging percentage and that high of an on base percentage. You take that, especially for a guy, again, who did not play minor league baseball in 2020 because of the pandemic. And he's never been to Birmingham uh, to play any games and be part of the White Sox AA farm system, which we've always talked about the Birmingham brick wall. If he can do that, in 2021, <laughs> nobody's you, ever going to Birmingham again. Exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> the White Sox will stop manipulating service time. So finally, let's talk about the biggest season prediction of this upcoming season. And that is the win loss record 
for the Chicago White Sox in 2021. And uh, I'll, I'll start here, Jim, uh, with my prediction. Before Loy Jimenez got hurt, I was looking at the numbers on how well, how well they did last year. And this is an offense that averaged more than five runs per game. And my thinking at the time before Loy got hurt, Jim, was I don't think this offense is taking a step back. Like, I do believe they can continue to average five runs per game. But on the pitching side and the run prevention side, can they still maintain a 4.1 runs allowed per game? And that's what the 2020 White Sox did. And we talk a lot about it, how the pitching just evaporated in the last week of the regular season. And there weren't many pitching options available for Rick Renteria in the postseason, especially in games two and three against Oakland. And they're obviously not going to be playing the majority of their season against the Detroit and Kansas cities of the world, but there's still a lot of bad teams in the American league. And the national league central is not very strong either. So I was thinking, well, shoot, if that number goes up to like, let's say 4.3 runs allowed per game with how strong Giolito, Keiko, Lynn can be and how strong the bullpen is, this team's got a chance to win 94 games, but Aloy's hurt. So I'm going to take four games off of that prediction. And I think it's that significant of an injury. And my new 2021 season prediction for the Chicago White Sox is 90 and 72. And even though I'm cutting off four games, I do believe the Chicago White Sox will win the American League Central in a very hard fought fight with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, in 2021. So that's my season prediction for the White Sox, 90 and 72 and winning the American League Central. What say you? I was following a similar thought process before Jimenez got hurt. I was thinking, you know, low 90s, clears 90, you know, by with, with a cushion to spare, 94 wins kind of sounded right, 93. 95, you know, it's weird, you know, with uh, humans having five fingers in each hand. Uh, fives and zeros, you know, are a lot more momentous than like fours and nines. But like 94 felt good. 95 felt a little bit too ambitious. So <laughs> um, that, that's why I decided I stopped there. And, you know, kind of, kind of along the lines of you, I, I lopped wins off the total when Jimenez got hurt. I ended up at 89.73, and that was a tough number for me to – come to just because when you look at the pitching staff, when you look at Dylan Cease and Carlos Rodon, how well they've thrown and like, you know, they, you know, Cease had the job handed to him, Rodon basically had the inside track and they both like won the hell out of their jobs. Even if they didn't have to win them, uh, they did. You know, we talked about Zach Collins doing that with the backup catcher job. Cease Rodon, you know, did that and then some with their rotation spots. And you look at the uh, uh, the way they threw and, you know, we could be talking about like April and, you know, I think maybe probably in January and February, there were a couple of guys you'd seen the rotation say like, man, I hope I don't get tickets to their game. And right now the way they're throwing is, you know, whoever's pitching that day, fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I'll watch yeah. them. So, you know, at least, for the time being, I mean, like Cease and Rodon have to show they can do it in the regular season, but they showed what they needed to show now to make themselves interesting the way Zach Collins did. So, you know, I look at the pitching staff, look at the bullpen, and I can see that, you know, being another 92 to 95 win team, uh, just on the strength of that alone. Just the one thing that keeps me from being too enthusiastic, aside from my general outlook on life, is the, the fact that, like, Jimenez feels like just – the one big blow they could absorb. 
And if they, you know, are dealt another one, if there's like a collision or, you know, somebody gets hit by a pitcher, just some kind of thing happens where, you know, a player is knocked out for one to two months. Can they bounce back from that? If it's a Brayu, if it's Grandal, like, you know, one of those key figures, if it's Giolito, just it feels like they can't lose one more player like that. They don't have the depth to make up for that to where, you know, all of a sudden that 89 wins is now like 83, 84, um, just based on like a a cascade effect of players being pushed out of their comfort levels just by who's absent. So that's why like 89 sometimes feels a bit too uh, optimistic just based on the depth. But I think the frontline talent at least has shown, especially on the pitching side, that basically everybody who's there deserves to be there besides maybe Jose Ruiz, but that, that spot is fungible anyway. And they really, you know, as we talked about is there only to pitch in games that are in hand already. So that makes me feel just, you know, it's hard to complain and I like complaining. <laughs> I can't really complain. Oh, well, I agree with you. I mean, if Lucas Giolito, oh, I don't want to speak to the, into this ex- ex- into existence, but let's just, you know, the hypothetical. Yeah. If Lucas Giolito missed two months because of injury, I'm with you. The white Sox may win 83 games if they finish above 500, but with the roster currently as is, and if Jimenez is the only injury, bad luck that they suffer, which won't be the case, but if he's until the deadline, I think that's the key is like trying to stay healthy until help can arrive. Right. But I I also keep going back to this from mid-May to mid-July, that 60-day period, the White Sox and Twins are going to play 16 times. They're going to play 13 times before the All-Star game in Atlanta, Jim. We're going to have a very good handle on where both the White Sox and Twins are against each other in the American League Central. And, you know, the three options are the White Sox are several games ahead of the the Minnesota Twins. The Twins, vice versa, are several games ahead of the White Sox. Or they're splitting those 16 games, right? They're 8-8 against each other. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then that even adds more pressure for both teams to try to make a deal uh, by the July 31st trade deadline. And, oh, by the way, you got the Major League Baseball draft uh, general managers have to worry about during the all-star break in Atlanta. So can we know which general managers, which teams front offices can be the best multitaskers. These are the stories that we're going to be talking about during the 2021 season, but that is a stretch that you just hold your breath and you want this white Sox team to be as healthy as possible and performing up to their best abilities during those 60 days from mid-May to mid-July. Because if they do play their best baseball, they're going to give themselves, I think, a cushion going into the second half of the season uh, where they won't have that intense pressure of trying to catch a team in the standings. They will be the team ahead in the American League Central and trying to continue to outrun everybody else within the division. And for the first time in franchise history, make the postseason at back-to-back seasons. But but if they have if the injury bug continues to bite this team in late April or in May, it will complicate things. And I don't want to ha- be talking about those storylines in late July, Jim, if the twins are beating up on the White Sox. 
Yeah, it's the Kenny Williams line about Manny Machado, like basically stay healthy was the plan <laughs> for him to uh, maximize his earnings. And basically stay healthy is not a great plan. Like it's just, <laughs> No, it's not. It, it's, uh, I guess the comfort is that, you know, as you mentioned, they basically have to stay healthy for a smaller window than usual because the games are so condensed that you just hope for, you're crossing your fingers for good health luck, but maybe not for as long. And yeah, if they can get to like the, you know, start of July, and be in mostly good shape. Then you're talking about like Eloy Jimenez coming back. And even if you don't expect Jimenez to come back as a world beater, he's somebody who can provide probably good at bats, just basically in how skilled of a hitter he is. Like, even if he's not like, he doesn't have his 40 home run power. He still probably has like a 280 bat in there and, and 20 home runs, which is useful for a team that just needs professional hitters. And then, uh, you know, then you have like, you hopefully at the deadline and, and hopefully with uh minor league baseball coming back, you have, some of the you know Birmingham logjam or the, the the depth starters showing up and either you know providing some innings when needed or you know making themselves more tradable. But either way, like just having a bit more in reserve that maybe isn't on the roster right now, but maybe Rick Hahn can add you know come July that can supplement the White Sox or uh, maybe replace some guys should some some bad injury luck arrive at that time. But you know as you mentioned, they they don't face them till May and then they face them a ton and just have to stay healthy in that window. Yeah. It's going to be a very intense 60 day stretch for white Sox fans and also twins fans as well. Again, from mid May to mid July, but that will make the very first half of the season. A lot of fun in 2021. And Jim and I are again, expecting a very successful white Sox season in 2021. He's got the white Sox for 89 wins. I've got the white Sox for 90 wins and, who knows, maybe we're in for a pleasant surprise in which the White Sox exceed both of our expectations. And it'd be great if they could find a way to get to the mid-90 uh, win total uh, without Aloy Jimenez. And then getting Aloy back for the postseason run will just spark comparisons of the 2016 Chicago Cubs when they got Kyle Schwarber back uh, for their World Series uh, coming off a torn ACL. But that's our 2021 season predictions. Thank you guys for playing along on Twitter. And thank you for listening to our 2021 season predictions. But you had a lot of questions for Jim and I this week for the show. So let's answer them next in P.O. Socks. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Socks. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter or by becoming a Socks Machine Patreon supporter. And our mailbag got filled up by our Patreon supporters. Uh, so all of these questions are from our Patreon supporters. So again, thank you guys so much for your support, especially going into the 2021 season. And I know, Jim, you hosted an, a, uh, an open house on SoxMachine.com. It was wonderful to see all of the responses, especially in the comments section. And uh, at least from my part, I really appreciate everyone's support as far as the site and with the podcast and now the video channel as well on youtube.com slash socks machine coming into this season. Yeah, no, it's been great. And it's, it's good to uh, get to know the readers and listeners. And uh, I should mention too, that uh, this time around, we have had no visual gags uh, that uh, listeners are missing out on. So no matter how you're uh, <laughs> taking in the show, you're getting 
a representative experience. So the first question that we have, and actually we had two folks that had similar questions, Jim. So the first part comes from Andrew Weber. And Andrew's question is, what if the story this year isn't about the White Sox hitting, but about the White Sox pitching and elite defense? Seems like the White Sox could have elite three and two above average starters and gold glove caliber defensive skills at most positions for most of the season. And again, Andrew's not the only one that had a similar thought process. Uh, Doug Wirtz also submitted a question saying, the pitching looks great in spring trading. Do you think the White Sox should put the best defensive team on the field and let the offense slip? I think that is the best solution. Potential gold gloves at second, third, center field, left field, and catcher would help prevent runs. So Jim, for Andrew and Doug, should the conversation be more about the White Sox pitching and defense than their offense at this moment? I would say I'd want the defense to prove it, you know, early in the season, like we talked about with Nick Magical, like showing that he's truly made the strides in the field in real time, uh, major league game speed when the games count, you know, making sure that he can, you know, make all the plays he made in the minor leagues. That would take a, a big uh, liability out of the infield, basically leave like, well, I mean, depending on what you think of Jose Abreu's resurgence last year, I think he's more or less an average first baseman. And if you think Tim Anderson's like an average shortstop too, and I'm generally there right now, I just, it's been a while since I've seen him complete a play, like a sensational play. Uh, you know, he's, he's been able to glove some, but the throw is off or he, you know, he mm-hmm. knocks down a, a grounder in the hole and can't quite recover in time to, you know, make a throw worth it. He just, you know, the number of completed exceptional plays by him it seems like it's dried up and it's more about making the routine plays for him and just letting that bat do the job and that's more or less fine but the infield seems like it's half stocked right now and and magical is gonna be the one that uh changes the complexion of that and then left field you know as the questions uh the premise of the question just you know left field being where it tilts because robert's great Eaton is probably average at best right now. So left field will be the one that I guess tilts it in the favor of uh, good or bad. And depending on if Garcia's out there or Vaughn's out there, it could be either good or bad. So uh, (laughs) there's a wide range of outcomes, but I can see the potential. And I think when it comes to kind of balancing offensive and defensive interests, I think the big thing is going to be, um, just like how Homer prone the White Sox pitching staff is because like Dallas Keuchel didn't give up anything. Giolito is more or less okay. He can get uh, dinged for a solo shot here and there just because of his high uh, change of approach sometimes backfires, but he's more or less average when it comes to suppressing homers. Dylan Cease gave a bunch last year. Lance Lynn was a bit Homer prone. Uh, Rodon really don't know exactly what he's going to look like with his uh, new fastball approach. So I think the important thing for the White Sox, and we saw this in 2019, tilting in their favor in 2020, is winning the home run battle at home. Uh, Because they got clobbered in 2019 by being outslugged, and last year they they wrestled it in their favor, and I think they have to keep that column in their favor. So if they're facing the Twins and, you know, you're you're trying to set the most elite defense out there when Nelson Cruz is showing no effects of turning 40, then maybe I want to go – uh, rock them, sock them robots with that lineup and just try to, you know, just a, a total slobber knocker of a game. <laughs> uh, when it comes to like, say the Tigers, the Royals, where you're not going to feel like uh, they're going to pounce on for five or six homers in a the game, then maybe you can get by more and run prevention and getting runs from the guys you have in the lineup. But uh, I'm going to be watching that column early on, especially like 
well, maybe not early on because the twins don't show up until uh, yeah, May, but maybe like by late May, early June, I'm going to see what that column looks like and, and see just whether uh, the White Sox defensive linemen are playing into it or whether the White Sox have enough firepower to where they can, you know, they don't have to run Andrew Vaughn out uh, in left field, you know, the majority of the time and they still have enough to win with. I think that's really the hope and what you're crossing your fingers for to where they can kind of get the best of both worlds. Well, Andrew and Doug, thank you so much for your questions. Our next question comes from Andrew Siegel. And Andrew is asking, does Aloy Jimenez's injury create any more need to sign Lance Lynn to an extension to justify the trade? I can see where it's coming from, but I think it it really just puts more pressure on Lance Lynn to deliver now. I think uh, it kind of makes an imperative, you know, I think it was already imperative for Lynn to deliver maybe not top 10 Cy Young quality, but at least the workhorse quality that he's known for uh, and and be like a three to five win starter in terms of wins above replacement, <laughs> not, uh, not win loss record. That'd be kind of scary if he were three and something with his record. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be bad. Yeah, win- I really wish wins had a different name for the other metric, but um, yeah, it's with Lynn. I think it's just more about maximizing his contribution, or at least getting close to maximum from this year, because really that's why he's brought into the situation to win postseason games this year. And, you know, the, the thinking goes, if he's good enough to win postseason games this year, the White Sox will want to try to strike a deal with him, uh, when it comes to extension, maybe like during the deadline period when sometimes those things get done or after the year, if everybody likes the fit and the White Sox had the budget for it. But I think pitching well this year kind of makes the other parts fall in place, whether it's retaining Lynn, whether it's uh, not retaining Lynn, but having more of a budget to get quality pitchers like him or quality contributors like him. I think that's really the the thing. So with Lynn, you know, I, I get the question and I think ultimately it would make a lot more sense if they were able to do like a Freddie Garcia thing where they give up a lot to get him and Dane Dunning isn't as much as they gave up. Uh, the White Sox gave up to get Freddie Garcia in 04, but it's you know similar in terms of just years of control of a good pitcher for a great pitcher now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it'd be cool if they somehow parlayed that into like a slightly below market extension to add a couple of years onto it. But uh, I'm not really worried so much about that right now as I am just hoping Lynn has a pretty smooth transition to the White Sox is, is their six to seven inning guy they want uh, is, is somebody they'd love to have starting game two or game three. And if he does that a lot more things about this White Sox season are going to make sense. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Rob and Rob Liedemann is asking how culpable are the White Sox for Aloy's injuries? Aloy's literally so bad at fielding that he hurts himself. Should the White Sox have stopped trotting Aloy Jimenez out to left field many moons ago? Uh, I would say there's some culpability. I, I think the bigger culpability is in not having a great idea for a backup for him. I think that's maybe where the White Sox are, uh, were a little bit negligent or derelict in their duties. I think when it comes to trying to figure out how, you know, good or average or adequate of a left fielder Menace could be, 
I still think there was a little bit of room left to explore there. And just because, you know, there are some highlights of him in minor leagues where he was able to cover some ground in the corner Mm -hmm. and he was even able to play right field a bit. And I think as he bulked up, he just kind of lost his way out there or lost makeup speed or just, uh, you know, lost the ability to handle himself, like accelerating, decelerating around walls, warning tracks, fences, netting, et cetera, and just got clumsy. And I think, you know, there is some, um, you know, there is some reason when you look at his sprint speed and his top end speed to think like, well, he just needs to learn his limitations and it'll be better and he'll learn what to be aggressive for. And, and because it, it's really important the way the White Sox built the roster with Vaughn and Abreu already there at first base in DH and Collins there too now, all of a sudden in a pleasant development that they need somebody to play left field and Jimenez is the best equipped of any of those guys to play left field. So, you know, having him out there is it's, it's derelict, but it's also like Abreu's presence there. And if, if, you know, Abreu had to be there, there's really nowhere else for him to go aside from DH. And I think he is too fast to, to relegate him to DH duties. So even if you have somebody to rotate in and out of left field with him with and not you know, make him the full-time left fielder, you're still going to incur some risk just by having him out there at all. And I think when you look at the nature of his injury and just the awkward attempt and, and you know, maybe it was just a bit too casual or maybe his arm got caught in a way he didn't anticipate and thought he was going to get down smoother. However it happened, it just it, it's a weird injury to happen. I think it's freak in, in, in terms of how it unfolded. It's not freak in terms of, I think, at this point, that it happened to Jimenez. So I think that's basically, I think uh, going forward, uh, the White Sox have seen enough to not count on him being the guy anymore and having a better plan. A maybe not this season, but next season and beyond. Well, I think that's the Oscar Colas, right? As far as the rumored signing is that here is another option for us in the corner outfield spot. The fact, again, that Billy Hamilton made this team (laughs) in his large part because of corner outfield injuries for the White Sox with Aloy Jimenez and Adam Engel. If they were not injured, Jim, Billy Hamilton is not making this team. Jake Lamb is not making team. Uh, So I'm with you. And again, it kind of circles back as far as the player development side and the fact that you know, Mike or Adolfo, Mick or Adolfo, I'm sorry. No, it's Mike. Uh, you got it right. Uh, Mike or, uh Luis Gonzalez and Blake Rutherford and, you know, even a little bit of Luis Wasabi before the White Sox got him. Uh, the fact that not one of those four could develop into someone that's reliable, that the White Sox can plug in right now, uh, also speaks volumes as well. And I think it's something that they may have to address in the upcoming major league baseball draft. Um, because if you don't trust those guys, well, there's not a lot of outfield prospects right now within the white Sox farm system that you can hang your hat on uh, other than set the recent Cespedes signing. And again, uh, Oscar Colas, uh, the white Sox, that's how they're going to have to address it. They're going to go to the international market. Yeah. It's frustrating. Uh, that it, it's frustrating that Hamilton's on the roster. It's also frustrating that they made him cut his hair. Like that's what? basically, yeah, he had to cut his hair, you know, because of the Jerry Reinsdorf um, appearance rules uh, that, you know, he cut his hair. And then, yeah, D- Daryl Van Scowen, who was like the last reporter standing at spring training, like he reported that, uh, you know, I guess he just overheard a fan yelling at Hamilton. And Hamilton said like uh, that he had to and just like, well, he made the team like that was even before they announced the roster. But just uh, once I saw Hamilton had to cut his hair, just like, oh, 
he's around. Like, so just, so it's, it's like extra lame. Yeah. Uh, it sucks for Billy. Yeah, I, I guess I, I hate that role. I just, it's dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess the one thing I'll say about Hamilton though, is I think I like him better than Nick Williams at this part, just because yeah. Nick Williams is one of those guys who can do a lot of things barely adequately, but none of them, you know, really well to where, why are you playing him? Uh, <laughs> exactly. You know, it, it's possible. Like he's shown enough at times in Philadelphia to, you know, you don't want to give up on him completely. Uh, but I think, you know, given what he's shown so far, both offensively and defensively, I think he's going to have to prove it in Charlotte and probably need an emergency to force the White Sox hands too to uh, change some minds. But at least, you know, Hamilton, you know why you're playing him. Uh, a guy like Williams, you really wouldn't. And I think Jake Lamb's kind of the same thing. <laughs> like If you're playing him, why? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But Rob, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for P.O. Socks. If you have a question or topic that you would like to ask us for a future episode of the Socks Machine podcast, again, you could follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. Uh, you could, again, follow me on Twitter at Socks Machine underscore Josh. But the best way to get your questions for the show and for them to appear on the show is by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash socks machine, where we have several different tiers of support uh, with our two war, our three war, our five war and 10 war levels. So $2, $3, $5, $10 a month. And with the differences in tiers, you get as far as more exclusive content, you get an ad free version on the podcast when we have guests that join us. You get an opportunity to ask questions to the guests. You get extended versions of the podcast and show with additional PO Sox questions uh, asked and answered. And uh, you also get an opportunity. You get a first crack at our new swag when we have it in stock. Uh, and uh, with that being said, as far as new swag, we have the pennants that are available. And I know that we got some questions during the open house, Jim, as far as uh, that new swag for our Patreon supporters. Any update on that front? Oh, right now I'm just waiting on the hoodie shipments come in. It should be within a couple of days. So as soon as those come in, I will start fulfilling the orders that have been uh, already placed during the back order period. And then after that, I will take stock of what's left, inspect all the items, make sure they're in shipping shape, and then uh, put them on sale. So probably if I get them on time, they should be probably on the Sox Machine store by the end of the week or the weekend. That's awesome. And the hoodie is awesome. I wear it almost every single day because it's super comfy. Yeah, you should so, put yourself on the big screen there. <laughs> I should, right? Uh, yeah, let me go ahead and do that. Uh, yes, right here. Let me get the, the right, right here. The nice logo. Again, it's super comfy. It's great, especially with the temperatures in Chicago ranging from the 40s uh, to the 60 degrees. Uh, right now, it, it, it's wonderful. It's one of the best things that we have made as far as swag items. So again, uh, if you're a Patreon supporter, take advantage of the pre-sale and the early access to our new swag. And if you're not a Patreon supporter, you can look forward to that item being added to the Socks Machine store. It's another great way to support us uh, is to purchase our swag on the site. Um, but definitely do consider as far as being a Patreon supporter. And again, that is at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And we have several different monthly contributions that you can participate in. And that will do it for this episode of the Socks Machine podcast. Again, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Socks Machine. 
And if you just discovered the show, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Radio.com. And for those that are watching the video feed, uh, and if you do watch videos on YouTube, think about subscribing to us at YouTube.com slash Socks Machine, as we have already We've got more than over 100 subscribers, which is wonderful. Thank you for that. And uh, again, like I mentioned with Socks Machine Live and our opening day special show that we're going to be having on April 1st at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time on SocksMachine.com, that will be streamed live on YouTube. So for our future live broadcast that we have done the last few seasons, we are going to shift that uh, from Mixler.com to YouTube. So again, if you enjoy as far as our live work, make sure you go and click on the subscribe button at youtube.com slash Socks Machine for our future videos. The Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching the Socks Machine podcast. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.